0: I think no matter who the, the listener is, uh, there's a nonprofit uh, that they can connect with and or, or could uh, help them. And, and that could be um, for a truly, that's, that's a benefit of like the sector, right? There's something for everyone. Right. And so if, if somebody needs assistance or is having a hard time um, or is on a fixed income and inflation is having them make hard decisions, you know, there are organizations and or programs either because of the the zip code or the age of the, re- the recipient uh, for them and so mm-hmm. if anybody that has a, any unfulfilled part of their life I would say that there's a nonprofit that can help them and one of the best front doors to start exploring what that looks like is is to call um, 211 and that's hands-on as is the organization and that could be again the referral to a, a pantry uh, it could get somebody in the queue for eviction prevention dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's like the safety net. And so if anybody is having a, a hard time, um, or even uh, your mental health resources and referrals, I would say that's probably a really good place to, to start. If somebody has uh, surplus time uh, on their hands and they want to give back and they know that they care about X, Y, or Z, I'd encourage that they go to the to columbusfoundation.org to the giving store. Uh, which can be searched by keyword and so that keyword based on the last question could be youth philanthropy or it could be grandparents
1: or it could be um, intellectual disabilities We are looking forward our way from Studio C in the 511 studios in the Brewery District just south of downtown Columbus Ohio. Hi, this is Brett. Carol and I have been actively involved in our communities through various volunteer opportunities. We know firsthand, the value of helping our neighbors and strengthening the community one step at a time, though. Today, we have the opportunity to share with you the incredible work accomplished in Central Ohio. We're honored to be hosting Dan Sharp, Vice President of Community Research and Grants Management for the Columbus Foundation. Dan, thank you for joining us. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, we were just talking. We had you on our previous podcast, the first iteration of this, but... Seems like twenty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we are measuring life oh in dog years. These things, right? yeah.
2: But Very it's so great true. to have you back.
1: Yeah. 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 We, mm.
2: Well, and and we're doing a lot of different programs um, coming from different needs in the community. And we always try to include resources for our listeners. Well, what better place to go than the Columbus Foundation as a resource for what's going on? Um, You know, we've always been good volunteers for nonprofit organizations. But, you know, until I was involved in the management of a nonprofit, I'm not sure I really understood. And um, actually being in the midst of it made things a lot different for me and I had no idea the vast extent of resources available in our community. I want to say we have an impact of over 9,000 nonprofits in central Ohio. Lots for us to talk about, but first I want to talk about you, your background, your experiences, what you've done, sort of what led you to this philanthropic role that you play.
0: Well, certainly talking about the Columbus Foundation is going to be more exciting to to everybody's (laughs) ears. Uh, And I feel very fortunate to be uh, in the position that I am and see it as a stewardship role for our community. Uh, the Columbus Foundation has been around for almost 80 years and right. has uh, many more bright years a- ahead of it serving Central Ohio. Um, I'm also passionate about the mission because I uh, born and raised in Central Ohio. My undergraduate is from Ohio Wesleyan in politics and government and economics management. And my master's degree is from Ohio University, uh, the Voinovich School, and it's a uh, public administration. And so all of those academic titles, coursework, uh, I feel have prepared me very well to have an understanding Mm -hmm. of the the civic infrastructure and landscape and how uh, the interconnected nature of public policy, relationships, fundraising, Mm -hmm. and community challenges. And so um, that's the the about me side of of the work, but I've been at the organization for 17 years, uh, about five years in my current role working with very talented colleagues on the grant-making side. Uh, The organization is fortunate to have talented colleagues across the organization, and uh, the grant-making side is uh, one of my favorite parts and aspects of of what we do.
2: It was my favorite, too, especially when you were sending me a check. (laughs)
0: Yes, because of the <laughs> generosity of our donors. Exactly, yes, right, Exactly, exactly. When,
2: it, certainly, it certainly played a, a great role in my organization. So, you know, thank you for that support over all those years.
0: Well, you're welcome. And we need great organizations to inspire our donors to do great things through their generosity. True. So chicken or the true. egg, however you want to look at it, right. you know, you know the, the nonprofits' fuel tanks aren't able to be filled without donors' generosity, mm-hmm. donors' cyclical, right? Right, uh, right. So very true. Happy very to
1: play true. our part in that cycle. Yeah. Well, as you mentioned, you've been around for nearly 80 years, a little bit over 80 years. You know, listeners may not understand the role of a community foundation or even realize the size of the Columbus Foundation or what a foundation really does do. You know, I mean, we hear about other cities, foundations, Cleveland Foundation, you know. But could you talk about, you know, the Columbus Foundation and and what it's achieved and really what a foundation's role is in this whole pushing money in the right directions put it that way really good question the uh, at the base is so we'll say a little F for
0: foundation mm-hmm. a, a foundation is intended to be a charitable vehicle to over the longer period care for uh, a, a priority so you could have a family foundation a business could set up a foundation uh, in our instance a community foundation. And we were formed in 1943, so during World War II, some very conscientious community members came together and said, we need to think about the good work and and preparing for our future uh, as a community. And so the community foundation platform, which has only increased in popularity, is uh, all across the country. Many communities have them. And uh, there's by and large a geographic focus to a community foundation, and that would inherently be... The community that they are in, mm-hmm. um, but we are able to service our donors' desires uh, all across the United States. And and last year, uh, we we did more than four thousand organizations in terms of contributions. Uh, and so we'll talk more about that in terms of our scope in the national context. Um, but. A financial services vehicle is probably the best analogous uh, thought to what a foundation is, but for the good of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of the generosity of Central Ohio and, and that longevity that we've had, we are uh, a by asset size within the top 10 in, in the nation. We have uh, over $3 billion under management, and that uh, certainly affords us to uh, dispense dollars through grant making and at donor direction uh, whether their donors are, are deceased or are, are actively engaged and their philanthropy we're able to to serve them through a variety of of vehicles under our roof and mm-hmm. um, you know that's that's exciting too i can get too i can get too philanthropically wonky about some of our, <laughs> our products and all of the different ways to do it and gifts of appreciated stocks or ira mm-hmm. rollover all these all these vehicles that are levers, if you will, that are there to be able to be pulled upon to help an individual become a donor and do good in the
1: community. And it it doesn't necessarily take a certain amount of money to do that, does it? There, there
0: is a minimum is to, okay. to create a uh, donor-advised fund, okay. and that, that would be $10,000, okay. um, but are giving- but, but,
1: but that's still a lot less than most people. You think, oh, you have $10 million to do
0: this. Right. It, it is, and there are other community foundations where the minimum is a six-figure, mm-hmm. um, but we have always been very accessible, yeah. and I think that's what surprises most people that don't think of themselves as a donor in a traditional millionaire sense, right. but, but we oh, absolutely- have a, a wonderful family of donors at ten thousand dollars and up. Uh, our Giving Store, which is the online catalog of, of nonprofit organizations, you can give a gift through the Giving Store directly to those organizations for as little as twenty dollars mm-hmm. through credit card, Apple Pay, PayPal. Well, yeah. and
2: and even though the the emphasis is on money, money from donors going to to organizations. What I saw with the Columbus Foundation. As a resource of information, so it's not just the method of giving the money and you know all those levers, but it's so I, I called the foundation one day and I said, um, somebody's going to give me stock as a donation. Can you do that? You know, that, in a small agency, there's no way we could make that happen because there are things that have to occur for that individual to get the tax write-off of the donation and how do you do stock and I mean it's just that information that support the caring of 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 nonprofits regardless of the size that's where i see the, the how the foundation the columbus foundation has played such a major role in our community
0: well thank you we do want to lean into that community component and right. we we traffic a lot in the community knowledge and being a resource and whether that's to donors or to nonprofits or Folks that are thinking about becoming a donor, or, or folks that are thinking about serving the community, and is uh, becoming a nonprofit the right avenue for them to do what they intend to do? Right, yeah.
2: right. Mm-hmm. So, so our focus here is is to really look at nonprofits and and their role in a community. Um, people recognize the big names. They recognize the medical places, uh, you know, St. Jude's Hospital or Nationwide Children's or or the American Heart Association for national organizations. Um, and those large organizations are phenomenal. But it's really within a community, it's those smaller groups that are likely um, doing the more direct services to folks on a daily basis. Um, if somebody asked you, what um, are nonprofits and why would they want to help me? How would you reply?
0: Well, I'd like to point out that the nonprofit sector is the third largest sector in the United States behind retail and manufacturing. Mm-hmm. So w- while we hold in our hearts this affinity for the cute little charity doing good work, it's, it's big. Big it's business. big business. And uh, nonprofits need to think about themselves as running like a business, right? They have budgets. Right. They have human resources, human capital. There's a lot of parallels to how businesses run and scaling and, and mission and marketing that I think a lot of people don't necessarily think of when they think of the nonprofit sector. Mm-hmm. And so those household name organizations certainly are run like businesses and small grassroots Organizations and even with volunteers, and you have boards and bylaws, and there are expectations of these. But the question about what what is a nonprofit and how might it, it help me? Um, we're fortunate to have organizations really f- fulfilling an array of a to z arts to zoos mm-hmm. in our community, and and so if somebody is maybe having a hard time um, financially, we have resources in the community that can be helpful. I, you know, lift up the two one one as the, the central call line to be connected to everything from food pantry to monetary assistance mm-hmm. to, in some cases, home weatherization right. to help people stay in their home or age in place. Um, and then you can think of nonprofit organizations if you are have some surplus time on your hands and you're looking to give back. And we often talk about time, talent, and treasure or work, wisdom, and wealth. It takes all of those to have a successful community and, and the nonprofits are, are a great avenue to having a successful community.
2: Well, and, and as you said, nonprofits are businesses. And I think that was the huge lesson I learned as a nonprofit manager. And it's, you know, normally a business makes a widget and sells it, and then they make another widget and they sell it. But in a nonprofit, you make the widget, you give it away, you find some more money so that you can make it again. So there's really an extra added layer of work to be done. So it is, I don't want to say it's more complicated or more or harder, but there is more to a nonprofit actually being able to be successful in their business to keep their doors open.
0: Absolutely, Carol. And and, in recent times, the, Notion of earned revenue—that mm-hmm. it's okay for an organization to earn money through that widget or service. Right. So um, it could be an organization like Freedom All Cart that is uh, working with women who have been uh, are survivors of human trafficking or have had um, addiction, and they know that to be self-sustaining, they need to um, have. Uh, a stable work history and some workforce skills. And so in addition to being a delicious cafe and catering company, uh, which is a wonderful part of a business model, they are employing those that they intend to serve by their mission. And so they're creating this phenomenal community Mm -hmm. of those that they're serving. And then they're creating a phenomenal community of supporters who go there for the delicious food or or want to ensure that um, they're spending their dollar and and having a, a cause go along with it. And so it's okay for organizations to to earn their revenue, mm-hmm. so and in most cases, you see it being reinvested into the mission and purpose right. uh, that the organization has been established.
2: Right, right, and and none of the organizations are you know uh, sitting on money or giving money away. I mean, it's all going back to making the organization stronger, better, doing more services.
0: Right. And to, to the notion of sitting on money, you know, it's as a business, it's important for nonprofits to have reserves. Right. The rainy day fund. And and more and more, uh, we're having we, conversations.
2: We, we, with over the past years, a couple oh, of years, my goodness. everybody's right. rainy day fund right. is gone. <laughs> and,
0: and, and if you didn't have it because maybe board members were of a certain mindset that we need to reinvest everything in the organization or margins or overhead, we're having conversations with donors about the importance of acknowledging that It takes people to run the organization, so of course there's going to be overhead, or of course there's a personnel budget. Um, It's not all going to be in-kind and and volunteer Mm -hmm. if you're going to scale or or have great breadth and depth. And so uh, having wise plans for reserves uh, is one way that we do help nonprofit organizations, largely through our endowment fund services, Mm -hmm. Um, but also working with them and connecting them to donors who have an understanding of the importance of uh, what a balance sheet looks like for the Mm -hmm. organization.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, with I guess I'd forgotten how many nonprofits were in our region nine thousand. It, it, it's that's hard to put your head around. I honestly. would even
0: say that's low. Really? Right. I, wow. I say, I, I, it, wow. Some some count houses of worship, which are our nonprofit status, so that right. may inflate the number.
1: But to say, yeah, not more than nine thousand. You're, you're yeah. not you're not lying, it, right? It, <laughs> right? Are we typical in our community of having nine thousand compared to like in Indianapolis? You know, cities of of. Do you know? I mean, are we? Rich in nonprofits compared to other cities of our size? Brett, that's a great question. I don't know that I do know the answer. Okay. Because to I that. know it seems as though, and I guess this leads toward the next section of this question I have, is that we do have nonprofits that are making some major impact in a variety of areas. It seems that we have things that cover everything almost, with 9,000 you'd think in every area. So could you talk about some stories, success stories of things that have happened? because those nonprofits exist
0: that's my favorite part of the job yeah. is to talk about those successes and brag on the sector and brag on on organizations and i'm fond of saying a to z arts to zoos mm-hmm. and everything in between because i really do think that's illustrative of of how the sector is is set up but in many cases and there's a you know, within the philanthropic field there's not an argument but there is a conversation about how How many is too many? Does it become competition in the fundraising sphere or are services being diluted or are organizations being held back Mm, because there's there's too many? Well, I I would prefer to use like the collaboration word over over competition. And in many cases, we see organizations uh, staying in their lane of of travel based on their mission. Um, But in also some cases, we see organizations with mission creep. Mm -hmm. And that's not always sustainable. Um, Mergers and acquisitions are a thing, or program lines ceasing, so that there's this really uh, lively ecosystem within the the sector, and in some cases, things like a a star's life cycle, they might burn out, Mm -hmm. or or they may um, grow and and be able to be sustained and and do good work. So that's like the macro view. because we do get to work with so many organizations and we take our responsibility to our donors very seriously, we have uh, some platforms that we utilize to try to share those stories of organizations. And and chiefly I'd say five nonprofits to watch is one platform of ours, as well as the Columbus foundation award, which is given annually you could kind of say to a top nonprofit, uh, within the year. And, um, most recently, the five nonprofits that we had lifted up were um, Halt Violence, which is uh, working uh, with young men to get them out of the, the cycle of street violence and gang life. Uh, the Martin De Poris Center, which is uh, focused on uh, Latinx families and, and youth. Muslim Family Services, which provides a lot of culturally centered community care. For individuals, uh, Root, which stands for Restoring Our Own through Transformation, and it's a Black family-led, community-based organization focused on the well-being of maternal health and, and families. And then Sanctuary Night, which is a, a newer organization, really on the on Sullivan Avenue, working with women who are um, actively being trafficked, mm-hmm. uh, and ensuring that they know that they are are loved and have uh, the resources for physical health, mental health, and everything in between. And then if there's an opportunity for a lifestyle change, um, Sanctuary Night can can be a, a conduit for that. Um, and then this year's Columbus Foundation Award winner was Directions for Youth and Families. Uh, long, over 100 years of service in, mm-hmm. in our community, but through also mergers, acquisitions. Mm-hmm. It's now currently known as Directions for Youth and Families and um, ha- deploys behavioral health, mental health specialists to all corners of our community Mm -hmm. through a really unique home-based service model to make sure that um, youth have um, access to mental health services and counseling. And then they also run summer programming and after school, really wrap around holistic support. And um, the timing for them was important this year, I feel, to elevate because of all those acute needs of the Mm -hmm. last two years of uh, that age group, that mm-hmm. demographic, and the challenges in school, and, and the the spike in youth violence that we've seen, yeah. and uh, directions for youth and families is in the middle of that, and they're uh, thriving and serving as many as they can, and they're opening a new um, twenty thousand square foot community center off of Kimberly Parkway in Courtright, an area of town that uh, really you know doesn't have a, a mm-hmm. library branch or a YMCA branch or a lot of community resources, and so they're expanding to uniquely meet um, and serve families over there. That so, has
1: got to be the one of the most difficult jobs, is to pick those nonprofits to spotlight. It is. I, I, it, it, it has to, because there has to be so many but, doing a great it,
2: job. But exciting, too. But, but at the same time, yeah. yeah well,
0: not just for awards it, it, like that, but when it comes down to grant making. Uh, you, and well, so, yeah, right? I'll so even that, one yeah. of our, our recent... Uh, application pools for capital investments had uh, four times the requests than what we had available. Mm-hmm. And, and and so I'd say 98% of them had great merit and, and mm-hmm. you're strong organizations. And so saying no is is not the fun part of the job, but to, to get the right grant investment opportunity is, is what we have to take seriously. And, mm-hmm. and that's why it's you know, a little bit of an art, a little bit of a science and and truly complex. We mm-hmm. hope we get it right every time. Right. Oh,
2: yeah, uh, but – but the work that the foundation has been doing all of these years really can lead you to those good decisions because you know the organizations and you have a feel for what's happening. When I was the director of a nonprofit, I'll bet you a month did not go by in the 11 years I was there that somebody didn't call and say, I want to start my own nonprofit. Can I talk to you about what that's like? And- um usually my first comment was, no, you don't. <laughs> you don't really think, I
1: don't think she helped add to that 9,000. <laughs> no,
2: no. <laughs> I, I, I I'm did, pretty yeah. sure I did not. And, it, <laughs> and it's not that I didn't think that their idea was great, but usually what I would talk to them about is, this is your idea. Now, if you go and look at where these resources are, here are the other 12 nonprofits already doing that. And so I don't want, I'm not trying to um, defeat anybody's, Idea, but I also think it's really important for us to see how we can strengthen the nonprofits we have, as opposed to um, having instead of more more competition instead of collaboration. And and there are ways that we can help and and do that. So, it, starting a nonprofit isn't necessarily the um, or even starting a new foundation. I mean, every time there's an issue in our country, somebody starting a new foundation and based around that, that that issue. There's only so much money that people are going to give. And and we can I don't I don't think we'll ever run out, but it will certainly dilute. So my that's my commentary, I guess, in the <laughs> yeah. middle of all of this.
0: So. Well I think you're seeing donors habits changing to be <clears throat> responsive to that. Uh, either they're leaning into it because it was a, a personal cause and they were close to the founder, uh, but then once you get out of that first concentric circle, sometimes the the momentum really uh, dissipates. Right. Yeah. Because maybe it was set up in the name of somebody who has been deceased, uh, and it's their family and friends, and it in some time, some cases doesn't live on longer or have the same weight and momentum uh, beyond that inner ring.
2: Right. Right. So. Hmm. So going back to the last couple of years, it's been tough. Nonprofits have um, really suffered, but they have also pivoted. And I was very, very impressed. We recently did a podcast with representatives from New Directions Career Center and Jewish Family Services to talk about what they did during the pandemic to help people who were job seekers and, and how that has affected their work and services going forward. You've heard from all of the nonprofits, I'm guessing, as to what they have done um, in order to pivot and to stay in business over the past few years. Can you give us a little overview of that?
0: I think some of the pivots are here to stay, and it has just uh, drastically changed the way some organizations are are doing business. Uh, to your point, Carol, not all are back to pre-pandemic budget sizes, headcounts, service areas, uh, and in some cases, uh, other organizations are have not seen a uh, backing off of the surge from so our eviction numbers are pre pandemic levels and that's mm-hmm. challenging. Right. Uh, our food pantry in the middle food collective food system is is still at uh, is higher than uh, the highest point in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So the the surge has not subsided, and and so that's challenging and 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 certainly um, worth noting and talking about and supporting those organizations that are. Are uh, in in the fight and doing the good work. Uh, Childcare is another visceral example of of what has happened mm-hmm. in the pandemic. Right, they so shut down. Uh, you had to socially distance, which, which meant these organizations had to reduce their headcount and how many they could serve. workforce is, is it's documented that it is woefully underpaid, which then means you know, the revolving door of staff members or or hard to retain. Um, and so how do you then get back up to full headcount when we no longer have these ratio restrictions? You can't find people to staff the, the classrooms, as an example. And then what does that mean to that single mother who relies mm-hmm. on childcare to get to her job? Um, and so these are just really, you know, they're not case studies. These are lives. Right. And these are right. organizations, right. but there are, are visceral examples. Mm-hmm. Many of the food pantries during the pandemic went to um, boxed meals as opposed to um uh, choice pantry where you could walk in and pick what protein and vegetables and, and dry goods and grains. And uh, because of the contactless nature of it, they the pantries had to put food in boxes and hand them to cars as they came through for drive-throughs. Um, that worked well, some, uh, but off, obviously took away the, the the access to choice, which was was challenging. But some pantries have now gone to delivery model. Uh, to make sure that, that folks, you can online order for some pantries. And so it very much mirrors um, the, the market um, and, and the you know, what the rest of the world is doing from a delivery standpoint. And so right. I think some of those pivots um, are, are here to stay.
2: Interesting. <laughs> and, and that could affect the number of volunteers they need, more or less, depending on how it's set up, but yep. um, possibly streamline and make it more efficient and better use so that the food is— better used.
0: Yep. There's a uh, And organizations uh, are doing a really good job of thinking about efficiencies in, mm-hmm. in all aspects. And mm-hmm. so the use of virtual events allows. Right. Uh, so we see a lot that are doing hybrid right now because they realize not everybody can make it to the venue um, at that day and time. But if they live stream it and or record it, they can still have their message be shared and mm-hmm. in some cases still monetize it if it's a fundraiser for them and, and somebody can mm-hmm still digest the organizational mission at their leisure. So I think that's a pivot that
1: was a necessity, but I think there's an aspect for many organizations
0: that that's here to stay. Right.
1: Well, there are also nonprofits that literally support other nonprofits, such as BASA's work in volunteer management and the Human Services Chamber in advocating for nonprofits. Is this a new variety of nonprofit agency, and how do they strengthen philanthropic work? great question. I think it builds on what we've just talked about in terms
0: of uh, efficiency, um, organizations' bandwidth and, bandwidth and collaboration. And so um, your question earlier about all what all is in the sector and covering everything, um, in the instance of BESA, they saw a niche that was not being covered. And so uh, they wanted to help primarily corporate entities with associate engagement and deploying them into the community through an efficient model rather than maybe just that corporation having somebody in HR calling every food pantry mm-hmm. to say, hey, when can we schedule a shift? Right. Uh, how many people can you take? And then coordinating that in, in an inefficient fashion, BESA uses a technology platform to really automate that, but they're also curating community and curating those events that then they're, they're serving it up to that HR department to say, would your associates be interested nice. in doing this? Nice. Essentially, it's a really yeah. distilled version, but yeah. they're you know creating community, deploying mm-hmm. people, And then that is uh, a triple bottom line, if you will. They're a nonprofit organization employing people, so it's working well for them as an entity. The organizations that are featured within their um, service projects are getting horsepower of caring people that might become new donors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the participants are learning about uh, ideally a new aspect of our community and in touch with a new organization and and then – Maybe there's a fourth benefit of those that are ultimately being served. Uh, right. Well, right?
2: actually, a fifth. Let's yeah go. How many? There's a, there's <laughs> a fifth because it, it it it's basically a a networking model for young folks who want to meet other people. anybody, not there. just
0: young folks. It's best sure. a, a beautiful it, community in that uh, regard. Well, absolutely,
2: absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, it there's a it's an amazing opportunity to hone your own, your professional skills if you're a job seeker. I mean, there's lots and lots of all of that job seeking stuff that falls right in and um, it's just a great, great group.
0: Yes, and Brett, you also asked about the human service chamber and uh, Carol, we start talking about nonprofits as businesses. So Mm -hmm. the human service chamber of Franklin County, it mirrors a more traditional business oriented chamber of commerce Hmm. and, but for nonprofit organizations, they have more than 130 members uh, largely in the human service space, and um, they exist to bring value to their members, those human service agencies. And um, whether that's aggregating data, whether that's back office services, uh, uh, purchasing power, all of those ROI. Like chamber
1: would exactly
0: for profit for not for
1: profit businesses
0: yeah. exactly. Yeah. So uh, analogous in that sense, and so that's again about the collaboration, the bandwidth, um, and fulfilling an important niche and and need in our community.
2: Hmm. Okay, so I was reading some information recently. The Bank of America did a survey. They were looking to discover um, who's giving to nonprofits, and they found that younger adults, those under 40, were playing a major role in donations, but they focused on the issues as opposed to focusing on the organizations, which is a little bit of a shift in philanthropic giving. Our nonprofits organizations need community support to meet their mission, but um, do you provide the various methods that are available for those who wish to support a nonprofit? Is this something that you've seen happen here?
0: Well, the research that you're referencing is in, in partnership with the Indiana University Lilly School of Philanthropy, okay. which is the gold standard in philanthropic research. Mm-hmm. And the seminal piece that comes out every year is called Giving USA. right? And it's right. just uh, so rich with data on um, trends, who's giving, who's receiving. Mm-hmm. Um, so religion is the the largest uh, recipient group, and then followed by education and then human services. Um, so those would be the top three gift-receiving re- uh categories. Uh, and so the Bank of America study was looking at those donor trends. And um, I don't know if tax changes were were part of that, oh, but right So now the, right. the standard d- deduction amount uh, has been increased. Mm-hmm. And so many folks are not keeping all of those receipts to the level uh, that they used to or, or giving to hit that deduction because the ceiling is higher. So I think we're seeing more people um, especially under that threshold, just being more charitable mm-hmm. in in general, and so that that often does fit into the causes, and then you get into the notion of of needing to have trust in who you're you're giving to, and are you comfortable with the work that they're doing, or because maybe the dollar amount is is smaller per se, um, you are okay parting with it. Uh, so there's there's a lot that's. Um, emerging and, and challenging about giving to causes without organizations because it's, it all comes down to relationships. Right. And and I think it, from our standpoint as a foundation, we want to be in relationship with our donors, but we also want our donors to have a relationship with the organization so that they can see their dollars at, at work. But there's nothing wrong with supporting more broadly a, a cause um, as long as I would say you have that trust and understanding or, or you're being honest with yourself in terms of uh, where it's going and, and how mm-hmm. how they're um, operating with it.
2: That's interesting because I was really looking at it from a different perspective and maybe it actually is the same. I'm just taking a while for my brain to go through this. I was concerned that the trend was where younger folks, those under 40 were donors, but more to organizations that were younger organizations. So mm. their parents had been traditionally giving to Ronald McDonald House for years. And it's not that they didn't care about families um, who are whose children were in the hospital, but they were looking at other things that were more to what they had been learning in school, like environmental issues, that kind of thing. So I guess I was looking at the shift more from traditional funding patterns of organizations that have been around for a long time as opposed to those that are kind of more up and coming?
0: I think when we look at the donor and the stratification based on age, there are so many different trends that can be parsed out. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think younger donors are not at all of the mindset necessarily of year-end giving Mm -hmm. because they haven't been raised like, got to get that in for the tax year per se. No, the organizations need Uh, dollars year round. They're engaging in crowdfunding platforms for these causes and and organizations. uh, And um, an older donor might be more apt to uh, reply to a mailed appeal at the end of the year or have an expectation that the organization gives them return uh, envelope address stamps or uh, Mm -hmm. something uh, Mm -hmm. as as a gift of of gratitude and, and uh, younger donors might not be motivated by that, or or even open a direct mailer. So there's right. there's uh, Giving USA also does some, parse out some of that generational giving differences.
2: It, is there a difference in younger folks being more involved in events that are uh, fundraising events than older donors?
0: Um, the anecdotal data that I would feel like I'm familiar with, I think, has some to do with discretionary time and lower dollar amount. And uh-huh. so there's a lot of conversation too about board member service. Mm-hmm. So is the person 50 and up that has a, a professional experience to build on um, more intriguing to the nonprofit organization, or is the young professional um, because of their maybe activated networks or, or broader right in the uh, the employer
2: understanding social media, <laughs> right? All, so so
0: that that's something that yeah. you, know, you have to make the right selection for uh, either the right hire or the right board board placement. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think there is a social component uh, that we see in events, but also through volunteering that does probably skew on a a younger side.
2: Well, I mean, if you think about it, 20 years ago, would we ever have thought Pelotonia, uh, literally a bike trip? Would become the organization that it's become with the millions of dollars, and again towards raised. cause, right? Exactly. Right. I mean, and, and exactly. they have
0: good partnerships with the Ohio State University, right? Wexner Medical Center, but I think that's not the, to the sole extent of who they're they're supporting. So, right. you, if you're a writer and a supporter, you know uh, immediately it's
1: synonymous with uh, cancer research,
2: right? As right. A,
1: as a cause, right? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's keep going on with this generation idea, but maybe focusing on how parents. Can encourage their kids to grow into a giving spirit. How does that, you know, continue on? How have you seen best practices? I guess you could say, or good examples of how do these families continue to uh, help their kids get excited about giving, whether it's time, talent, treasure, whatever it might be? How does one do that, or successfully? I
0: think modeling the behavior first and foremost. Uh, And so as long as the parents are uh, or the adults in their lives are are charitably inclined one way or another, uh, if that's volunteer service, you can model that good behavior. Um, We're fortunate in Central Ohio to have um, more organizations, but two that are really good examples for this conversation, uh, Seeds of Caring and See Kids Dream. Um, Both working with children, both planting the seed of philanthropy. One is... uh, more tied to school-based philanthropic drives, educating about community needs, having kids raise money uh, to to go towards those causes and have you know curriculum around it, that would be See Kids Dream. And then um, Seeds of Caring is uh, also focused on the youth demographic, 2 to 12, and a lot of theirs is curriculum-based, but in home or uh, community-based settings with families, and a lot of it is hands-on. Activities and and so um, you know stuffing a a ziploc bag with hand warmers, a bottle of water, granola bar, uh, an affirming message, and a card that the kids do all of that uh, to hand to somebody that might be standing at a corner uh, panhandling Mm -hmm. or at the end of a a freeway ramp, but uh, to make the connection for the kids, see kids uh, uh, seeds of caring does uh, book has books. And and worksheets so that kids understand why they're putting things in these bags and who mm-hmm. the people the beneficiaries are, are going to be and so those are very visceral uh, hands on educational ways to to spread kindness and understand the role of, of philanthropy are, yeah. are
2: those two national organizations they're both or they, they're both, both both here. local here yep. here yep. Yeah. so we will include that information on our resources sheet because that, what great information for parents to have. With small kids
0: and, and grandparents, uh, my family mm-hmm. pers- participates in um, Seeds of Caring, and they had an activation on International Grandparents Day, oh, and fun. and so that was sensory bags for the uh, developmentally disabled community, and so you kids got to for- mm-hmm. play with glitter and and mm-hmm. slime and and but <laughs> How fun. But, but also uh, wrote cards and and did uh, art uh, so that it would just brighten. Uh, the person's person's day, and they mm-hmm. learned uh, more about uh, a different part of our population. Yeah, interesting. Nice. Oh
2: nice. my gosh, yeah. that that's great information, Tan. Thank you. I when I wrote that question, I wasn't really sure where where, where I was going with it, but I'm I'm excited now.
1: <laughs> you knew exactly. Come on, I you're know. a well, pro. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, my I, my goddaughter has two little <laughs> <laughs> ones. I'm gonna I'm gonna get them involved. So very uh. cool. Um, so you know our our um. Podcasts always go way too quickly. We, we just, the, the time that we spend with our guests is, goes so fast. We really want to give you an opportunity for some words of wisdom to the listeners. Um, suggestions and advice on how to, to utilize nonprofits for their own needs, but then also how to support nonprofits.
0: Well, thank you for that opportunity, and again, thanks for the invitation for the conversation today. Um, I think no matter who the the listener is, uh, there's a nonprofit uh, that they can connect with, and or or could uh, help them, and, and that could be um, for a truly that's a, that's the benefit of like the sector, right? There's something for everyone, right? And so, if, if somebody needs assistance or is having a hard time. Um, or is on a fixed income and inflation is having them make hard decisions, you know, there are organizations and or programs either because of the, the zip code or the age of the re- the recipient uh, for them. And so mm-hmm. if anybody that has any unfulfilled part of their life, I would say that there's a nonprofit that can help them. And one of the best front doors to start exploring what that looks like is, is to call um, 211, and that's hands-on, is, is the organization. And that could be, again, the referral to a, a pantry. Uh, it could get somebody in the queue for eviction prevention dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's like the safety net. And so if anybody is having a, a hard time um, or even uh, mental health resources and referrals, I would say that's probably a really good place to, to start. If somebody has uh, surplus time uh, on their hands and they want to give back and they know that they care about X, Y, or Z, I'd encourage that they go to, the, to ColumbusFoundation.org to the giving store, uh, which can be searched by keyword. And so that keyword, based on the last question, could be youth philanthropy, or it could be Mm -hmm. grandparents, or it could be um, intellectual disabilities. And uh, more than 1,200 nonprofits in the 11-county Central Ohio region are listed in there. And so individuals could learn more about those organizations, Mm -hmm. And, and perhaps that's how they could spend their discretionary time. Uh, by connecting to those organizations, and that could be the gateway or the conduit to to that. Um, and if it's in that you know um, treasure component, you know, the Columbus Foundation has a, a wide variety of vehicles for to receive um, gifts to deploy for community purposes, and that can be uh, current day giving um, transactions. It could be estate planning, and really anything in between. So if somebody's in the position in life where there might be some surplus assets or they need to be thinking about what happens when they pass. The Columbus Foundation can be a really good resource Mm -hmm. Um, and, again, a conduit and a gateway to ensure that their wishes, their intents, and their causes that they care about and specific organizations uh, can, can receive their generosity
1: long after they're gone. Well, Dan, thanks for providing some incredible insights into the world of nonprofits, the value they bring to our community every day listeners thanks for joining us don't forget to check out our show notes for contact information we're going to have resources on our website as well at lookingforwardourway.com and in a, a direct direct link, link right to columbus foundation too just click a button you'll go right there and find out everything so we're looking forward to hearing your feedback on this and any of our podcast episodes